don't care if you're in sales, marketing, finance, um, et cetera. If you don't understand the, 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 the physiology, the psychology, um, and, and, and the structures of business, then, then your ability to be empathetic, you know, you can't seek to understand that, which you don't understand at all, like that, which you don't know about. Um, so you can't be empathetic. So you can't drive those types of outcomes. There we go, Mike. Mike, you are getting into it. Welcome to this episode of the Black Line Podcast. I, I, I think the last time I exchanged any kind of communication with you was like the last podcast, which was like a long time ago. Yeah, I think it was like three weeks did. ago. I mean, we've exchanged some texts and things like that. I mean, you know, it's, but other yeah, than right. that, yeah. I can't, I can't keep track of that stuff, man. I, I don't know. Either the world's moving too fast, or I'm getting too old, or or maybe I think it's, it's both. A, I think it's a mixture of both. On it's on probably that a little one, bit of a mixture on, of both. Unfortunately, um, today's a special day, though, man. Like this afternoon, things couldn't be going better. Today's a special day. Is it your birthday? No, the Nats are winning right now. Oh, and oh, gotcha. the CDC just issued new guidelines on fully vaccinated people. You heard it here first, people. Except I mean, it was literally get like twenty minutes like ago, several days. What no, they say? Thir- they See, said, I've been busy working, full- Mike, so I don't know what they say. Yeah, but it, uh, we've been living in this for a year and a half. They just came out and said fully vaccinated people do not need to wear masks outdoors or indoors. Are you going to wear a mask at all? I'll wear it in indoors uh, in crowded crowded spaces. But like, if I go to the grocery store or something like that, yeah, I would just. Out of you know, more th- or less, I think a show of respect for at least a little bit longer, I but not I'm outdoors. Keep... I'm not outdoors. Yeah, not outdoors. But I think I'm going to keep the mask. Actually, maybe even sometimes outdoors. I think I'm going to keep the mask. You know, for for um, one is, uh, you know, then I just have to keep my eyes from rolling, and and people don't realize what I'm, you know, I don't I don't give away what I'm thinking about <laughs> when someone's small talking with me, and I'm like. What, why are we still talking? Well, they, especially they like it's great when you're wearing sunglasses and a mask because then you yes, can really ab- just like, oh. totally tune somebody out. Uh, and and you know, I'll tell you, I and I'm not the only person that that has had this experience. I, um, you know, I stay pretty healthy. Um, I'm rarely out sick, but I get a seasonal cold or something that sometimes knocks me out for a couple of days or or has me just like really dragging and grinding for for a couple of weeks. Um, I have not had anything. Um, and, and I think like when I'm flying, like, I think, you know, two years from now, I'll be on a plane. I think I'm going to wear a mask. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 that's a podcast for another day, but I mean, from a scientific perspective, it, your body is made to digest. If you, if you're just not exposed to any germs or anything like that, you'll just, you're, you'll. Not, it's not Mike, trust you. me, I'm not talking about living in a in a vacuum in a sealed existence here. Yeah, okay, I, yeah. I trust, okay. trust me. I'm I, just I, saying. I'm just saying. I expose myself to to more than enough germs. Yeah. Right. So so we did not. <laughs> that'll be a subject for another podcast. And as a matter of fact, probably yeah. a differently titled a different type of podcast. Type. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All righty. Well, let's get into our main topic. It is 
college graduation season. And you know how I know that? Because uh, this year, I, you know, my daughter's still a couple years away from graduating. My son's a couple years away from graduating. So you know how I know that it's uh, college graduation season? Hmm. Um, we are, so we're actually in the midst of, of um, recruiting and staffing up five positions. Um, and one of them is revenue um, operations administrator. And we are talking to somebody who is scheduled to graduate in May. Oh, wow. Um, and actually, hey, Hannah, I know you don't like to talk on here. Um, what's your birth date? August 10th. What year? 1997. Yep. So this will be, if we hire this person. I was a, I was a sophomore in college. Well, see, now, now this would be a milestone hire. This will be a milestone hire for us. Because this will be the first person that I will have hired that's younger than one of my kids. Hmm. And, and that stands out to me because I remember the first job I was hired for, I only stayed there for three months. It was a um, recruiting job. But the first job I was hired for after graduating college, the office manager, you know, the regional manager who, who, who ran the office looked at me and said, oh, shit. You're, I was the first person that she had ever hired or worked with that was younger than her daughter. And so I remembered, I've always remembered that. Um, but Boris Becker was the first um, well-known professional athlete that was younger than me. Um, so I've always kind of had in my head, when am I going to hire that first person that's younger than one of my kids? And if uh, this person works out, then um, it'll, be, uh, it'll be college season. I mean, it'll be, it'll be momentum, momentous. So that's how I know it's yeah, college that graduation. Is, that is season. one thing I have never thought about. So it's uh, well, you're not you're in no danger of hiring somebody younger than your kids right now. You're 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 in a pretty safe space for that. For, yeah, that's that, 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 that's true, absolutely true. You know, how I know it's uh, college graduation time. Um, I could say something, but it would probably not be appreciated. Oh yeah, that's that, that is not the that is not the reasoning. Um, no, I've, I've actually had a couple of uh, like good friends of mine. Their kids are graduating from college. Some of them have marketing degrees. They know what I do, um, and they've reached out to me and said, "Hey, would they you know mind? what you do? I don't uh, know they, what you they do. Know so that, how they, the hell they, do they, they know, know that I'm in, they know that I'm in the the marketing industry? Uh, they know um, what you say you do. Got it? Right? Yeah. Got yeah. It. I mean, pretty much. I just sleep on a couch all day, and you know. Just, that watch, watch the nationals play. That's my hypothesis, but I'm sorry, right. go on. I know. So um, I lost my train of thought there. So thank you, but I'll, I'll come back to it in a second. But no, they, they, they reached out to me and, you know, said, hey, can you talk to my son? Can you talk to my daughter? Uh, can you make any recommendations on companies here locally in the Washington, D.C. area that might be hiring? Uh, if you know anyone, would you mind passing along their resumes? You know, kind of all that same thing of, 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 of networking. And it's throughout these conversations, it's actually been quite amazing. Uh, and I think back to even my days when I was graduating from college, there's a misnomer that some of these kids are coming out and not trying to use their networks. They're like, oh, I applied for the job on LinkedIn. I applied for the job on their website. I, you know, and I'll say, well, this company is hiring. And they'll say, oh, okay, I'll go apply on their website. I'm like, no, 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 send me your resume and I'll get it to the CEO or the vice president of marketing of that company so that you go to, you know, go to the front of the line um, and so that you can get a little bit of special treatment. So 
that's honestly, I mean, that's how I got my first job out of college was a good friend of mine that I was graduating with. His dad was the vice president of software development for Solar Genomics. I was wanting to get into software engineering. He passed along my resume and I ultimately got the job. Uh, so I don't know. Interesting. All right, so uh, everyone thinks our topic right now is going to be about getting hired after college, which is not our topic. So no, it is not. Um, so what did that make you think of? Business acumen and 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 how can either? I mean, gosh, we know people that are that are our age that have been professionals for twenty plus years and they still don't have business acumen. But you know, how how can somebody that's young in their career learn learn business acumen? Learn. Learn, so what what is business learn what it means to be a professional. So, so our topic, Ooh, that's kind of a different thing. So we'll see. Um, well, let me ask you is, is, is a professional, I don't mean to be calling uh, words out on you, but you know, that's my role. That's what I do. Um, yep. Is, is being a professional, does that equal business acumen? Cause I think you bring it's, up it, two, business two acumen is a, is a portion of, of being, a, I think, a professional. I think being a professional is a portion of business acumen in that, what, what I think you're talking about, I think there's like, you know, the whole idea of EQ um, and, and the, you know, there's an understanding of how the world works and how to present yourself and, you know, how, how, how to, how to utilize a network, how to um, make a positive impression. And I, and I think what gets overlooked, you know, everyone talks about making that first impression when you're, when you're getting hired. Um, I, I think there's also, um, and in some ways, from a hiring standpoint, I, I think that this is even more valuable is is um, making the reinforcement impression. And, and, and what I mean by that is what's the impression that you create after you've done what you did? So what's the impression you create after you have the interview? And, and I would say that if you think about it, like what's the what's the impression that the salesperson creates after they have the sales call? And, and I, or, or, or the marketer after they've um, done the lead nurture or, you know, any of, 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 of those things. And I'm not, I'm not saying that the first impression isn't important because it's, it, it's vitally important, but it soaks up all of the oxygen. Um, I actually think in a lot of ways, um, if, if you've done well, especially the, the huge missed opportunity is the after action impression. With, with without a doubt, absolutely without a doubt, because you've already you've already stood out. So therefore, there's an expectation on the other end of it, or, or the the, and, the after. Effect. And if you and you know what else, or the, after, you, or the opportunity that comes after the initial impression. And and if you didn't stand out, you actually have the opportunity to stand out. Yep. Right. Like like if someone you know if I have a sales call with somebody and like I'm the I'm on the customer side and and they send me a follow-up that, that that demonstrates like not 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 just it's a so we talked about x and 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 you know and agreed to do y and this um I'm not saying that's bad that's good it's but but that's the checkbox okay yep good they did what they did what they're supposed to do that was professional which shockingly most people don't do most salespeople don't do that, right? Do you know the, the best advice my dad ever gave me was the day before I started my first outside sales job? You know what he told me? Hmm. He said, Doug, and this was a long time ago because remember, I'm old. He said, Doug, if you want to be in the top half of all salespeople, you only have to do one thing. 
return calls within 24 hours. Yeah. He said, that's all you have to do. If you return a call within 24 hours, you're going to be in the top half. And I'm like, come on, dad. It's, it's more complicated than that. Um, it's no, not it's more not. complicated. Return, return a call within 24 hours. I, follow up with an email no, within 24 though hours. I, though I learned, I learned he's wrong. He was wrong. You do that, you're in the top 25%. Uh, it, it, it blows me away how, how, how bad that follow-up is. But, but again, if you just do that, that, that straight, um, you know, you recited what we said, that's a check mark. Um, but if you do something that shows understanding, that's, that's, oh, wow. Yeah, want to pay attention to this person, and 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 the influence that they have moves dramatically. Um, and so, I, I, before we get too far down that path, what is business acumen to you? Understanding really the situation that you're within, like what 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 are the what are the opportunities, what are the risks. Um, some of that certainly comes with uh, experience, but also some of it just comes with well, I mean, all of it comes with it, with experience, and but it, that's what it really means to me. Can business acumen be taught? Absolutely. Okay, we're gonna have one conversation because I don't think it can be taught. I think it can be learned, and I think it's only learned, but I don't think it can be taught. So here's my definition of business acumen, and and you know we've thought a lot about this. We actually have a course. Um, on business acumen, business acumen for sales, marketing, and demand generation professionals. Uh, business acumen is the ability to intuitively grasp the performance drivers for someone else's businesses. For someone else, I can't speak. It's the ability to intuitively grasp performance drivers for someone else's business and then clearly explain how your product or service will drive their results. It's an ROI on the fly conversation that's an equal mixture of business understanding asking the right questions and pouncing on opportunity when it presents itself. When your salespeople have business acumen, greater growth and bigger margins are yours for the taking. When they don't, competition, commoditization, and falling margins are your future. Buzzword bingo. Wow, that's a little bit harsh. <laughs> what would you do to improve? Like, no, I'm, 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 I'm kidding. Yeah. It, and, and so this, this is where it becomes like... Uh, I remember an old mentor of mine used to say, do you know what the difference between knowledge and experience is? And uh, I mean, sure, we all kind of think we know. And he said, well, I'll give, it, I'll give you a very simple example. Knowledge is when somebody says, don't touch that, the oven burner. Like, well, why not? Because it will burn you. Experience is mm -hmm. I touched the oven burner and I burnt the shit out of my hand. I now have the experience to say, I'm never going to touch yeah. that burner again. It, it took me three times before I realized there was cause and effect. The first couple of times right. I thought it just might be correlation. Um, so I, I think you, I think you would agree with this in, in, I think in business and life. Um, and I would say this is especially true in sales. If you're a sales or a marketer, or, you know, if you're in the revenue, um, management revenue generation world, I think you would agree with me that, that the most powerful trait you can possess to stand out for opportunities that you want and to master and pursue and to excel those opportunities is, is to be insatiably curious. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so, so we always talk about be curious, 
right? We always talk about be curious. And we always talk about you need to ask good questions, right? I'm sure you've heard that your entire life. And we, 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 we talk about that to our employees, just like we talk about that to our salespeople. So if you're a marketer, a salesperson, success, revenue operations, whatever it is, you need to ask, you need to be able to ask good questions, right? And, and you know, we, we say those things in a way that, that I think puts a lot of people in a position to fail. Because we say you need to ask good questions like, just ask good questions, right? Um, and, and we say, th you know, things like, there are no stupid questions. When I'm here to tell you, no, there are in fact stupid questions, right? Um, <clears throat> you know, and, 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 you know, as an employee, you know, you're, you're, you know, managers to employees, you know, any questions, a good question. So then they ask some inane question and you're like, oh my God, you know, you, you might not say that vocally, but in some nonverbal, you, 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 you get that impact. So we never talk about where good questions come from. We never talk about where curiosity comes from. Um, and I believe, and I, and I think the research would back me up on this, but I believe that, that the core element of, of curiosity comes from empathy. If, if you don't have empathy, if you're not empathetic, you're not curious, right? I, I think that that is spot, spot. Right, right. And if, if you don't, um, if you if, if you don't approach things from from a standpoint of seeking to understand of of, of being um, inquisitive where you know you you don't hear what's said in response right and like i know one of the biggest communication problems in the world is most people listen to respond instead of listening to understand right and you need empathy to listen to understand um and and when you're not listening to understand then then everyone just kind of digs into their own um in, in, into their own pit. So if you don't have, you know, so your level of curiosity is limited by your level of empathy. And there's a second element. It, it, it's also limited by your knowledge base, right? You can't be curious about things that you know nothing about. You can't really be curious about things that you don't understand. And, and, and I know that might sound counterintuitive because I'm curious to be able to understand it but if I can't connect it to something, to some structure or framework, then to a human brain, it's invisible. It, it, it doesn't exist. By the way, a fascinating um, um, human element here is, did you know when, when the you know, pilgrim ships first came over and, 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 and the natives were on land and the ships were out there, did you know that they did not see the ships? Like the ships were physically there and they were visible, but they were not seen. Do you know why they weren't seen? No clue. Because no one knew what a ship was. No. Right. So you didn't you didn't have any framework to to understand what you're seeing. So your mind didn't see it. Right. Um, it, you know, if you go physiologically, our our brain only has the ability to understand three colors: uh, red, green, blue. That's why every computer monitor is red, green, blue. And, and, and what we do with colors is, is we basically leave open spaces because what our brain does is it fills in gaps, right? So we, we don't naturally see what we don't see, right? Because we want to understand everything. So we fill in all kinds of gaps, right? So if we don't have an understanding of something, then we can't see it.
And, you know, how curious are you about things that you know absolutely nothing about? Now, I know someone's out there going, no, no, I'm curious, right? That, that, I love to learn about brand new things, et cetera. No, that's not curiosity. That's right, right. Right. That, that, and now you're curious. Now, ultimately, you might get to that, but like, you can't be curious about something that doesn't, like, I, could, I couldn't even give you a name to give you an example because the moment I bring it up, it's now no longer something that we don't know. Right. And so, like, I can't be that curious about anatomy because I don't know it. Right. Now, if, you know, a curiosity mindset would enable me, like the first few things I begin to learn about anatomy would, would cause me to want to dig deeper. But, but my curiosity, like if I went to, you know, a medical conference and I went about, you know, trying to demonstrate my curiosity about this, I, I, I'd be kicked out. Right. You'd, be, you'd look pretty, right? pretty, pretty foolish at that point. Right. I, but, but not only would I look foolish, I'd, I'd just be kicked out. It, it, right. it, it, it would be non-starter. And, and like, so you can't be a doctor if you don't understand being understand anatomy. You can't be a doctor if you don't understand certain aspects of physiology, right? Um, and and one of the things that's interesting too is you know if you talk to a really good doctor, um, I, you know I have a friend who's a cardiologist, and I forget something came up and it, and it had and he's actually a pediatric cardiologist. Um, so sometimes I ask him about something related to you know cardi cardiopulmonary adult, and he's like, Doug, I'm I'm a pediatric cardiologist, so, you know, I can give you a perspective on it and, you know, and it's an educated perspective, but it's by no means an expert perspective. And if I talk to him about something that's completely unrelated, he'll say, you know what, Doug, I, 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 I'm not qualified to comment on that. Like he's smart enough to know where, you know, he, you know, his line of, you know, so, so some people say, well, if you're a doctor, you're a doctor, you're a doctor, you know, that that's not really true because of that base. And, And so to me, business acumen is the equivalent of that to a um, to a business professional. And I don't care what, to, I don't care if you're in sales, marketing, finance, um, et cetera. If you don't understand the, 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 the physiology, the psychology um, and, and, and the structures of business, then, then your ability to be empathetic, you know, you can't seek to understand that which you don't understand at all. Like that, which you don't know about. Um, so you can't be empathetic. So you can't drive those types of outcomes. Um, and and so, you know, I, I'm, I'm blown away by how many people don't know what the difference between CapEx and OpEx is. Um, are they financing this? Or are they not financing this? Are they a manufacturer? Or are they a this? Doesn't make any difference. Are they a manufacturer or um, an architecture engineering firm? And this is a true story. This is actually in a, in a sales advisor. It doesn't make any difference. What we do is the same for both of them. I'm like, no, I understand that physically what you do is the same. But if you're a manufacturer, manufacturers finance, ma- ma- manufacturers deal with significant amounts of debt. Architecture engineering firms, their professional services, maybe they have lines of credit, right? So what? What difference does that make? Well, if you're the manufacturer and you've got real debt, you've got your equipment that you're financing, you also have this thing called debt covenants. Debt covenants dictate how your financial picture needs to look, how things get done, et cetera. And and I literally want a piece of business because I knew that the company that I was talking to um, did print. They had a, and I knew that because they gave me a tour of the floor and, and they bragged about how new and modern their equipment was, right? Expensive, 
financed. I asked him a question about debt covenants. He was like, first off, totally shocked that I that that question even came up. Well, and I mean, it, there's some there's immediate credibility there as well. So, well, I, I mean, I know I know where you're going with, with, with this, but let's keep going. Well, well, so so the thing that 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 happened next was is he. I mean, so he was impressed on one hand, but then he immediately went to, I don't understand what that has to do with this. And I said, well, what we're going to be talking about with your sales team is going to have some financial impact. And so if you help me understand what your debt covenants are and where they are, and by the way, I happen to know that printers tend to be at the very edge of their debt covenants, right? Um, right. And, and so if you help me understand where those are, one of the things that we can do is, you know, in whatever plan we lay out, we, we can make sure that that works favorably with you know the investments that you're going to have to make you know we want to make sure that that they're done intelligently and he was like wow i i hadn't really thought about that um and he even brought up you know what a couple years ago that's ended up being why we didn't pursue something right and 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 so it just changed the nature of what i was able to do it changed you just nailed it on the head with what you said which was we tried to do something a few years ago and we couldn't get it done if you go in and you understand, and, and, and I think you're absolutely right. CapEx, OpEx is something that I had to learn. Um, and it was after college because I was, I was a science, science major. Um, and I, I learned it relatively quickly because I had uh, some really great sales mentors. And I would go in and I would try to understand those pieces of their business, the people that I was selling to up front. Do you, do you typically buy this type of equipment using CapEx, OpEx? because it allowed me to do really kind of three fundamental things. One, determine, you know, hey, is this an opportunity that I can influence right now? Or is this something that I have to think about influencing 18 months from now? Because if, if you're a CapEx company and your budget's gone, you're, you're not doing anything. Like there's, there's, you're just not doing it. So therefore it helped me with forecasting. Then if I understand, oh, well, this is the, this is the way we we purchase things. Then can I get creative with my finance team, with an outside finance team to bring everything together and say, hey, you actually don't have to wait 12 months from now to get this done. And I can show you a way to get it done now. And because I framed all of that, my competitor's not even thinking about that. My competitor is sitting there telling them, oh, my product is better because of this and X and Y and Z and all of those things. And yeah, we may have had an inferior product, but guess what? I helped you through that business process in order to accomplish a goal that you were thinking you might, you weren't even going to be able to accomplish. Well, Maybe well, for another you know, 12 or 18 months. You know, once you get above small market, you know, small business market, financial engineering is ultimately what wins or loses business. Yeah. Right. And, and, and but that, this is even, know, this is even small. This, I mean, even some small. No, no, but, but, but right. and, and so, so like one element of difference for, for like in my situation, what I was doing really had no impact on OPEX or CAPEX, right? Mm -hmm. There were, there was no direct connection, but what I knew was that it impacted my customer's business, right? So for me to understand him, for me to position my services in the right way i had to be empathetic which means i had to understand like i can't be empathetic if i don't understand his world i can't see the world from his eyes if i don't understand 
what that is, right? And yep. and and so so this connects to, uh, you know, do you understand how business models work, um, and 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 what the business model is because, you know, a business is like, excuse me, a business is like the human body. Everything is interconnected, right? And you know, you sell some, you know, utility type service or product. Do, do you understand how they make revenue? Do you understand how they build their capability to make that revenue? What, you know, what are you impacting? Which engine do you serve? How do you serve into that engine so that you can show not what the difference between like I, I've got a client that that sells to the enterprise enterprise market. They're 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 selling to to the IKEAs, the Campbells, um, and you know the. the they're in, in the area that, that they serve they're they they can demonstrate direct savings of about 30 percent which is a pretty impressive direct savings right in direct cost and and that direct cost in in, in a larger opportunity tends to be about five to seven million dollars right now do you and me like okay i'll take an extra five million dollars if you have it that would be really awesome do, do you know what campbell soup calls five million dollars i mean that's the nothing can happen not even a rounding error right it's the rounding error of a rounding error right and 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 so i mean don't get me wrong five million dollars is worth five million dollars and and if you're campbell soup you don't want to like you're not just going to pour out five million dollars but but campbell soup's not going to go through any kind of you know they're not going to break inertia for five million dollars but but when you show that it you know that it impacts this aspect of their supply chain so that this person who has to pay attention to it won't have to pay attention to it and their mission critical job is connected to this area of their supply chain and because this area becomes less disruptive it has this other impact and so from an indirect standpoint there, there's about another there's about a 3x impact so it's worth you know 20 million dollars of indirect impact and from an opportunity cost impact it's it it, it connects to ultimately a quarter to a half a point of GNA expense. Now, if you're Campbell Soup and someone's going to talk to you about about taking out a quarter or a half a point, you know, twenty five to fifty bips basis points. And by the way, if anyone doesn't know what that is, that's a sign that you should go to our website and take the business acumen course. Um, you're talking about twenty five fifty bips. You're in a completely different conversation. And so, while you know this person over here is is talking about you know, their features or the benefits, you're talking about changing what their cost structure is, you're, you're, you're in two different ballparks. If you're a marketer, are you, are you sending things out about the, the differences at the point of implementation that, that, that impacts a rounding error? Or are you demonstrating your understanding of where the supply chain fits, where the disruptions are, and how this relatively small aspect has a multiplying effect on, on, on what it drags down? Right. And so what you need to do, like if you don't understand a business model, you can't understand business drivers. You can't ask the questions that, that I like to call level three questions that get to real impact. Right. And, and, and so that's what the importance of business acumen is. But, but I know kind of the question that we wanted to get to, and I, I'm curious what your take is, how do you get business acumen? Uh, I, I mean, again, to me, a, a lot of it comes down to experience um you know what 
what type of, of situations have you been in? It does come down to that curiosity factor. And I mean, for me, I have been just blessed with having a tremendous number of, of, of incredible mentors in my, in my career. But I think one of the reasons why I've been there is because I have been insatiably curious and I've, I've put myself out there in so many different situations, but I mean, to me, it's experience and, and mentorship. It, it, it's, it, and those, those are my answers. I don't, I don't think you get it from reading a book. Tell me more about that. I mean, you, I, I should take maybe sort you, you can understand, you can get a deeper understanding of certain principles, but until you experience it, then, um, then that's when you have the true understanding of, of, of what's going on. I mean, look at how many MBAs are out there now that it's like, would you rather go into the professional world and get your face kicked in for five years or would you rather go get an MBA? I'm gonna come out of having five years of getting my face kicked in, depending if I'm the right person, in a much better situation than if I went and got an MBA. I, I know you added the caveat of if I'm the right person, um, but but I know a lot of people that, that, you know, I like to say they've been doing it for 20 years, but they don't have 20 years experience. They have one year's experience 20 times. Yeah. Right. Um, like, you know, the tough thing about business acumen is if I, you know, if you say this is what you need to do to get business acumen, um, I can show you as I can show you more people who have done that and, and haven't ended up with business acumen. than I'll show you people who have that's done it. So, that, that, that's very which, fair. That's which, that, that's very fair. Which is part of the reason why I say um, I don't really think it can truly be taught. Aspects can be taught. Um, but I also know no one's born with business acumen, so you have to learn it at some point. And, and so I think it, it, it comes down to, to a few things. Um, one is I think it's range. Um, I think it's range of experience. I think it's range of exposure. Um, so like I know a lot of salespeople that read books. I know a lot of salespeople who don't, and I'm blown away by that. But I know a lot of salespeople who read books, and they read books of the same genre. Right. They read sales books or they read, you know, and, yeah, actually, and, I, I was going to ask you to unpack that a little bit more, but I, now I understand where you're going with it with, with regards to range. If I'm if it, like, <laughs> I mean, no. business acumen is I can fake it in finance. I can fake it in operations. I can fake it in sales. I can fake it in marketing. You know, I don't know if this is still the case, but I remember when I was getting into the professional world, you know, manager training programs were typically built. You're in a two year manager training program where you worked in all eight disciplines of the company for three months each, regardless of what track you were going to be on. So like if you were going to be a sales manager, you went through all eight aspects of, of the, you know, the disciplines and then you went into your sales track. Um, and if you're, you know, so, so that- I still think more companies should do that. Oh yeah, I, I, right. I, so when you talk about MBAs, I think one of the problems where MBAs have gone off track um, and I, which I think actually college has gone off track is that it's, yes. you know, we, we've looked at it through the lens of vocational. Um, like the value of college for me was range. Um, I, I would never have taken an accounting course if I didn't have to, but thank God I took one. I still don't understand managerial and cost accounting. Um, and I barely got through the class, but thank God I took it. Cause at least I'm, I'm aware of it. Um, and, and I'm probably more proficient than, than so, most. Uh, 
you're bringing you're bringing it around to the awareness factor, which that that's that is an interesting. And uh, and you know, like you, you're right. Like cost accounting is it's. You, you know, I. But you're aware of it. But if you need I to, was, you can, if you were truly curious about a customer said, "Hey, we're we're working on this project around cost accounting." It's like okay, I. I'm aware of what you're talking about. Now I need to, my curiosity is showing up. Now I need to go dive in and look, dig into it even more. Look, how many salespeople think, um, or, or even marketers think, is this company, um, do they do cash-based accounting or accrual accounting? And, and look, if you're talking to an accrual accounting company, then, then there's a different mindset than, than a cash accounting company, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and, so, so, cause I was in, in an interesting place. I mean, I was lucky cause I grew up in a small business family. So I had exposure to, to a whole bunch of aspects of business through there. But I also went from being a frontline salesperson to being the leader of my company. Um, I never got to experience middle management. I never got to experience the middle where you, you, you could watch other people. And I didn't have anybody that I would say, you know, they were my mentor. My, my mentor was books. I mean, I used to read like a book. A week. I would read 50 books in a year. Um, now, I think I read books differently than most people because I think people read, I think most people read books with the mindset of getting answers. And, and from that standpoint, I would agree with you. You can't learn business acumen from a book. But if you read the book from the mindset of what questions does this prompt? What does this push? I, I was joking with, with the Imagine team earlier this week when I was taking my macroeconomics class and the professor was talking about the supply curve and the demand curve. And I knew I wanted to go into business. I knew I wanted to run a business. And I was like, this is awesome. Because pricing to me was totally blind. And, and so, you know, the prices where the supply curve meets the demand curve. Um, and I was having a beer with my professor one evening after class. And I asked him, you know, hey, Doc, Doc Phillips, I said, hey, Doc, um, where do you get where do you find the supply curve and the demand curve? Like, is that in the Wall Street Journal or something? Where, where do I find it? And he said to me, well, Doug, it doesn't, it doesn't actually exist. There's no, and then I said to him, so then why are we, why, why, why are you teaching it? Um, <laughs> sorry for another day. But, but again, that, that, that point of, of being exposed and then questioning and then challenging and then testing, like, like books can give you that, that broad exposure. How much are you reading about things that you think have nothing to do with, with with what you do like i hated chemistry biology in college i failed it but but today one of the things that makes me that helps me excel is i understand chemistry and biology in terms of how people behave you know i, I you know i'm not a behavioral scientist by any means but outside of that group I, I put my knowledge up up against anybody and that's because i was still passionate about why do people do what they do? So, so I exposed myself to a whole, whole lot. I listened a lot. Um, I, 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 so, I talked to an accountant and I asked just a right. whole bunch of random questions. Absolutely. And, and when, when I would like, that was the funnest part of being an enterprise rep was I got exposed to so many different types of businesses and I would just go have beers with everybody and like, just ask them a thousand questions about like, Hey, how does the, the fuck is transcoding when it comes to video editing? Like it, all of these questions so that I, like, and that was just, I, I wanted to know, like, but you, you brought up a good point around mentorship and, and, and I'll tie back into this in a second. Um, when I, when I talk about mentorship, one of the things that I'm referring to is I got a lot of opportunities and I still get these types of opportunities where it's like, 
hey, ride a, come to a couple sales meetings with me, Mike, especially when I was young. Like, come, come on some of these executive meetings, just, and I'd be like, okay, and I'd just be a fly on the wall. And I'd, I'd feel like I added zero value to the conversation, zero, but I, I got to listen. And some things I would say, and I don't think I would ever say that. Oh, that was actually a great, oh, wow. Okay, this other executive is talking about this. I mean, even today, like friends that are in, you know, law enforcement or anything, like I'm genuinely curious about their jobs. And like, I'm always like, hey, can I come in? Can you come give me a, like a, a tour of Department of Homeland Security, cybersecurity division? Like, it, it, those types of things kind of invigorate me. I'm, I'm just genuinely curious so that I can speak intelligently about it. But back to the book side, I, I do, now that you've brought that up, I wonder if a lot of people read books. And this also comes into that kind of like thought leadership thing that we've talked about before. And ultimately why I think this is going to sound weird, why I like you as a friend. I think, I think some people read books and listen to thought leaders for affirmation. I already knew that. I already think about that. Like, oh, wow, I'm doing great. Like these thought leaders are saying, and I think a lot of these thought leaders just are pundits and they say those things just so that they can, their followers follow them even harder and all of that. But coming back to around to where the reason why I think I look along with you, or at least I like you, that I get along with you, um, but that we're... Uh, that we talk is you always question shit like so, to the point of sometimes where i'm like i'll i'm like man fuck him like he, he just doesn't but then i after i have a second to digest it and understand i actually greatly appreciate that i was questioned that heavily in in some of well, my thought processes and what i was what i was doing um, the, the, the reason I love reading books was I, I, I got to debate with the greatest minds in the world. Um, and, and I gained, you know, far, far more uh, from that. And I, you know, I, I, I think learning to be able to ask questions, if you learn it from, from the standpoint of what questions um, that, that, that prevents you from echo chamber. Um, and, and, and I think that's one of the keys. So I, you know, I, to, to, to developing that range. Uh, the last thing I'll I say, don't think it's I don't think it's just learning to ask questions. I think a huge aspect of it is learning how to listen. Yeah, that that's a topic for another day um, because that gets into because well, that, that gets into everything. Empathy that gets into empathy. Well, gets into you know, it's listening. It, 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 like, it, it, not, it, it's not learning to understand. For, not listening for affirmation. It's listening to right. what you just said. But not listening to aff for affirmation. Listening to understand. Right. To get it, a fuller it, picture, or hey, I don't know something about that. Let me go research it. Let me go understand it more. Already, Hannah's yelling at us. It's time. It's time for us to go to our next topic. Hmm. Hmm. Oh yeah. How's everybody doing? All right, Hannah. What's the question? All right. When does a metric go from being valuable to being vanity? As soon as it becomes important to an executive. <laughs> Tell us more about that, Mike. Uh, I mean, metrics. Look, every metric out there can be valuable in some way, for safe or form. It's that's why it's a metric. But um, vanity metrics are when you try to game the system or uh, present the data or metric in a way that is in a positive light, I guess. So is a vanity metric never negative? Oh, no, I mean, a vanity metric can display negative 
can 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 absolutely dis display negativity. Okay, let's just talk hypothetically. We I used to be in positions where it's like, oh, you need to go on ten meetings a week, and it's like, well, number of meetings is it, it can be a valuable metric, but the fact that it needs to now that this has become a vanity metric of you want to go display to executive leadership that Mike went on twelve meetings versus eight that metric or maybe mike went on eight versus his required 10 that doesn't there's no value in that it, where the value comes in is how many of those meetings that might go on to that were valuable to the company and were not vanity of i i used to cheat i used to say oh well you need me to go on 10 meetings all right i'll go on eight valuable meetings and i'll make up two so i I, I, I think, well, let me preface with one of my favorite laws to quote, which is good arts law, which, yes. which is the moment you take a, a valuable metric and you turn it into an objective, it stops being valuable. And so I think there's a tendency where it becomes a vanity metric when it becomes the objective. Um, it, it becomes a vanity metric when, when it's viewed in isolation. Um, it becomes a vanity metric so like metrics represent a model. It's kind of metrics done right create a mapping effect. And and you know, one of the things that any cartographer will tell you is that the map is not the territory. It's a, it's a model of the territory, it's a simulation of the territory. So so like it's an interesting element. Um is the number of calls a sales rep makes, Mike, is that a vanity metric? Or is that not a vanity metric? Number of dials. Uh, it's a vanity metric, in my opinion. I think it's more often than not used as a vanity metric. And I tell my salespeople, or the salespeople we're coaching all the time, I don't care how many dials you make, and you better make X number. And for some reason, that confuses them. Um. So, so like our key metric is, is meaningful conversations and we have a specific operative definition that, that helps to prevent the gaming of it. And, and by the way, if you do metrics well, you can't game it, right? So if you were to gain, absolutely, that, if yeah. you were to gain number of meetings, then the next step beyond meetings, um, your, your number would look bad from a conversion standpoint. So I would say, oh, well, we have a problem here. Um, so, so like, and one of my favorite statements is, you know, sales is not a numbers game, but numbers play a very important role in sales. So, so let's just say 50 dials, let's just say 50 dials and, and your, your sales development rate, 50 dials. Is making 50 dials, like if you make 50 dials, is that going to determine whether you're successful or not? No. Are there, are there reps out there that are making 30 dials and being really successful? Yeah, they are. Um, are there those that are making 50 and not being successful? Absolutely there are. Um, so so like point one is if you're not hitting all of your numbers and you're not making 50 dials, guess what I say as a manager or a coach? I don't have time for you. I don't have time for you. So so you can't call it vanity if I'm gonna use it in that standpoint, right? Now let's say you're making those 30 dials. You're making 30 dials and you're hitting the numbers. Is that okay? Like we say this all the time, if you're a salesperson and you can hit your number working 20% of the time, then you only need to work 20% of the time. Do you believe that? 
Would you actually be okay with a sales rep who was hitting their number working 20% of the time? Yes. I don't think you actually would. I really don't what think would you it? would. I, I, I would. Because I, here's my question person, to you. I couldn't do it. But I have you. learned to, that, that, again, from, from a... What are they costing the company? Other, what are they costing the company? A lot. Yeah. So why is that okay? Because they're, they're, they're driving driving their fair share of the revenue. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, so I, if we're trying to optimize revenue, you know what? I'd rather have somebody that has to work 90% of the time to hit the number than somebody who has to work 20% of the time. Because you know what? Uh, they won't be occupying other, other resources disproportionately because I'm going to be able to scale that better. I'm going to be able to solve for revenue better. Now I'm, I'm giving an extreme example here that, that is, you know, we talk about it and, and never really happens, but um, I, I think what makes a metric like, I, but, they, but you also, but hold on, but you also have to remember that the, the, that the people that are working 20% of the time and making the number, I'm not saying everyone, but a large, probably a large majority of them have a significant amount of experience. They have a significant amount of business acumen, and that's what allows them to get away with working. Boom. I, I wouldn't say that they've that's always what allows worked. them to get away with. I, 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 I haven't. Well, it allows them to accomplish their job. It's like the, the guy that can fix your car in, in two minutes because he's done it 3,000 times versus the guy that takes eight hours to fix your car because it's the so first time doing it. You've got a rep that's hitting their numbers. They're making $30 a day and you're, and you're looking at it and you're saying, what are they doing with 40% of their time? You're being like, okay, no worries. So what? Well, I would challenge them to do more and see, see if, see if it, I, I would challenge them and ask them to, hey, like, what, what are your goals? What, what, is this boring to you? Like, what's <laughs> How could I, how could I incentivize you more to work 80% of the time? So it's not a vanity metric because it's showing you that, that they've got 40% capacity, right? And so you're going to challenge them. So it's not a vanity metric. True. Right. So the difference in my, in my world between a vanity metric and a valuable metric is how is it used? How's it used? And is it actionable? Right. And, and by the way, actionable, I should, I should really hit. Um, I, my, my favorite action is, is a question or a hypothesis, right? So, so when numbers are used um, in isolation, they are far more often than not vanity metrics. I don't care how many visits I get to my website. I don't care. And I'm disappointed in the growth of our web traffic. How can both be true? Well, because I'm a walking enigma. Be, because... All, all things considered, all things being equal, is, is an increase in web traffic a good thing? Yeah, it, it, it's an indicator. It, it's not the end. It's not the end all be all. It's, it's not, I don't, I'm, I'm not dying on that hill. But yeah, I look at it. And it, I mean, we went through a period of time where, where we lost, you know, over about an 18 month period. Our, our, our traffic was down 20%. There was no material change in, in, in the underlying performance aspects about that. But yeah, I'm like, what's going on? Why is our traffic down? What's what's happening? Shit, we need to do some we, we, we need to increase our rate of hypotheses. 
to figure out what what gets it back up because it it's a sign that 100 percent okay, right? but uh, the challenge is a lot of people when they see those signs they go into absolute freak out mode well and that's that's the answer to the question is how's it used the difference between a valuable metric and a vanity metric is how's it used and 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 by the way in a larger team more metrics will be not vanity metrics in in a smaller team the you know the same metric that could be you know like the metric for a team in a larger company is a vanity metric for a smaller company because you can only materially manage a limited number of metrics you begin to mm -hmm. you know get overwhelmed so so the the reason this valuable metric or vanity metric the reason that people fight over it all the time is because a metric can be either like i don't, I don't like when is a metric a vanity metric versus when is it a valuable metric i can't answer that question because i need a hundred other things to know to be able to determine is that metric actionable is that metric teachable it's got to be one of the two is it actionable or meaningfully teachable and if it's not either then it doesn't mean shit. so i don't care here's an example i don't care about my website traffic you know what i care about my traffic quality traffic. of your web traffic I, I care about the quality of my web track, but let me ask you this question, Mike, how do you judge the quality of your web traffic? Well, there, I mean, there, yes, there, there, there is that. And Again, it's, it, 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 but it, it is a signal. Hold on. It's, it's one thing that's, it, hold it, on. that is a signal. There's an answer to that question, how you measure the quality. You look at your conversion rate. Yeah. Right. And I'm for that. You know what? Here's another thing in, for 90% of metrics. I think I can stand behind this. I, I haven't thought about it fully, but I think I can stand behind this. 90% of metrics. If, if they're unidirectional, they're vanity, right? So your conversion rate is valuable if you have a clear conversion rate range. Um, if it's less than 2%, it, there, there's a problem. Like less than 5%, it's got a yellow light. Less than 2%, it's got a red light. I'm making up a number here. More than 12%, it's got a yellow light. More than 15%, it's got a red light. Well, what, wait a second, Doug, why, why is 20% conversion bad? Well, here's why it's bad. What's the magic? You're, you're, you're not getting enough. At that point, you're probably just not getting enough traffic. Well, what's the magic of, of a website? What, how did the web change? Like, I'm so sick and tired of the word of the word uh, game changer, but, but digital and websites were game changers for businesses, what was the fundamental game changer that the web brought to business? Uh, well, I mean, there's a number of things, exposure, 24 seven. Um... Those weren't game changers. Okay, what was it? Zero cost for incremental distribution. Yeah, okay, yep. Right, before the web, getting the attention of somebody had a cost. There was always an incremental cost. And so if I had the attention of the wrong person, that was a cost. If the wrong person, we, we appear to be very popular in the Czech Republic. I do not understand why the Czech Republic seems to like the demand creator block, right? 
20 years ago, me communicating with the Czech Republic, that would have been a cost. Do I care that the Czech Republic is on my website? No, I don't. And, and, and by the way, if I want to be invaluable to you, there's some entrepreneur in, in the Czech Republic that they should find my stuff really interesting. And if they're not finding it really interesting, then I'm probably less likely to be really valuable to you. So the fact that I'm getting more people that don't fit is, is, is not necessarily that, right? And, and so if you're doing the right things, you should be getting in, 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 in a web. Now, there are some exceptions, but right. So, so when you look at that, if, if my range gets too, um, gets too high, I'm not taking enough shots. If it gets too low, I'm not dealing with, with, with enough quality. And so by bringing in those factors, if my cost of customer acquisition gets too high, that's a problem. If my cost of customer acquisition gets too low, that's also a problem. And, and here's why it's a problem. It goes back to the, to the sales rep is not working 100% of the time. And there's two problems with my customer acquisition costs getting too low. Number one is it opens up a flank for someone else to compete with me because they can still make an above average return by spending more, right? So they can, you and I talk about this, they can buy the business. Yep. The other element is if I'm trying to optimize return and value, yeah, it's great that I'm getting this at an 8% cost, but if my economic model is built on 20%, what, what else would I pick up if, if I brought that cost up to 12%? And, and in this case, yeah, my margins would go down, but, but you know what would go up? Total dollars going into the bank account. I actually had, I had this conversation with a sales team the other day. It blew their mind. It goes back to business acumen. Um, Cause I started, ask, um, I started asking this question. I, I, I like to force people, you can only pursue one type of business. And what I said to them was, I said, there's three altars that a business preys on. There's the revenue altar. There's the gross margin alter, and there's the gross profit alter, right? Would you rather have a $2 million piece of business at a 5% margin or a $200,000 piece of business at a 20% margin, right? That's a harder question to answer than you realize. Which one would you want? I'm curious, which one would you pick? You can only have one. You can only pursue one. Yeah. Company. So, I mean, well, I mean, at the end of the day, it's which the one same. would you pick? Well, for me personally, I would take the $200,000 um, versus. Why the would you take that? The same, same revenue or same, 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 same dollars in my bank account. No. Oh, no, no, no. Two, yeah, two million. Okay. So you're talking about. It's $100,000 of gross right, profit 100, versus 40,000. versus 50,000 versus 40,000. Right. Yeah. I didn't know. Then I'd take the $2 million. I wasn't just, well, I wasn't doing the math. Well, then. But then it also depends. Are you, am I publicly traded? What do my investors want to see? What, you know, it's. I can also, you know, well, how many, you know, can I, can I grow more 200? Right. So, so there's no right answer here. Right. But, but those are all different elements. And, and so again, and, and then the truth is, if your margin's too low, then, then, you're, um, then, then you've got a problem. But if your margin's too high, you're, you're losing revenue opportunity. You're losing revenue, absolutely, because, 100%. Because what, what a lot of people forget is the bank doesn't cash percentages. 
right? And so that's where we connect to, to vanity metrics is what's the application of the metric? And that's the difference between a vanity metric and a valuable metric. Can we agree on that, Mike? Uh, you, can, you can definitely agree on that. That's an interesting way of looking at it, using revenue as, a, as the example. What's your takeaway this episode? Or what's your um, thought? You know, it's, th this has been like, uh, uh, once again, pretty uh, an enlightening conversation. And it, it's something that I try to do quite a bit of, but look at alternative views. Look at something that is just not going to affirm what you already think, what you already believe. Go find whether it's, oh, well, I'm not even going to go there. Um, try to find alternative views. Because I guarantee you, when you read alternative views, you'll probably either learn more about yourself or learn, learn something new that you had not considered. And that's Here's my, my takeaway for the day. Here's my parting thought. Go to somebody in your business or a friend in business that does something that you don't know much about and ask them to tell to tell you about a day in their life. Ask them how do they know if they're doing a good job. Listen and ask a whole bunch of follow-up questions and don't say anything. Just ask good questions and seek to try to understand what their world looks like and then try to connect it to yours. And that, everybody, is this episode. I'm going to try it a new um, parting line. Until next time, make sure there's more juice for your squeeze. <laughs> okay, that didn't work so well. We're still looking for a parting line here. Um, so until next time, we will see you on the Black Line Podcast.